It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Monday, August 21st, 2023. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. Sitka Senator Bert Stedman says that the legislature will not allow the earnings reserve of the Alaska Permanent Fund to run dry over the next four years, which would mean no annual dividend check for residents. Nevertheless, the Sitka Republican and co-chair of the Senate Finance Committee says there is an alarm bell ringing, and legislators are going to have to make some tough and possibly unpopular decisions to keep the permanent fund healthy. Stedman was recently back in his hometown and spoke with KCAW's Robert Woolsey. There was concern over the permanent fund earnings reserve, which is the portion of the fund available to both pay for government services and pay dividends to residents during the regular legislative session this spring. But with so many other bills and hearings in play, it didn't get much notice. Then in July, at the quarterly meeting of the Alaska Permanent Fund Board of Trustees, CEO Devin Mitchell reported that even with relatively favorable investment returns, the spendable portion of the fund would be exhausted by the summer of 2027. Most people didn't want to hear it. The people in the financial arena recognized the fire alarm was starting to ring. Sitka Senator Bert Stedman has served in the legislature for 20 years. A private capital manager before entering state politics, Stedman was appointed by then-Governor Frank Murkowski because of his financial acumen. He is an ardent conservative in the original sense of that word. He is not going to spend down the permanent fund, the state's $80 billion oil wealth nest egg, to resolve short-term budget problems or to placate the constituencies of newer members who've been promised unrealistically large dividends. But he's only one legislator among 60. Not everyone in the Capitol or in the governor's office is on the same page. If the legislature goes haywire and does all these overdraws and these um, starts pulling out, you know, 2.8 billion for dividends, um, you know, the House will be on financial fire and it won't be easy to put out. So that was one of the big driving factors why the Senate refused to overdraw the permanent fund, refused to do a large dividend. It wasn't because we don't want to pay out things that are popular and the people want. Is sometimes there's just financial necessity. You have to deal with it, just like a, your personal checkbook. You know, there's sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. That means limiting the size of permanent fund dividends. For the last half dozen years, the legislature has put 5% of the permanent fund's market value into the earnings reserve where it can be spent. The governor has argued for a 50-50 split of the earnings reserve between dividends and state government. The Senate disagreed and passed a dividend calculated on just a quarter of the earnings reserve, which would still come to about $1,300 for every Alaska resident. The House hasn't accepted the new split yet, so other measures were enacted to keep the earnings reserve afloat, such as cutting corners on inflation-proofing the permanent fund itself. Any other year, the legislature would have returned over $4 billion to the fund's main account. This year, that didn't happen. I think we put in a little over a billion, holding back some liquidity. We can do the same thing next year. In their calculations, they look at fully funding the uh, inflation-proofing. We could skip it for a year or two if we had to or reduce it like we did this year to keep the dividend stream going and then pick it up when the markets become more robust. Um, But what you can't do is start 
overdrawing the permanent fund. There is another strategy that's gaining momentum in the legislature, which would end the fight over the earnings reserve, and that's ending the earnings reserve itself. Instead of two accounts, just have the main permanent fund account and set a hard cap in the Constitution on withdrawals, which would prevent future legislatures from spending it all away. Stedman is a fan. Yes, no doubt about it. And that would protect the permanent fund, except if there's a super need where you had to go to the public and they'd have to vote to take it out, which of people would if we had a big earthquake or some really nasty disaster. But other than that, I don't think they would. And uh, that would force the legislature and the administration in the entire state to live with a 5% range. But it takes a constitutional amendment. Stedman considers the Alaska Permanent Fund on scale to be one of the largest sovereign wealth funds in the world. Norway and Saudi Arabia have more money, but they have far more people. He'd rather have the Permanent Fund last in perpetuity and not be exhausted in a generation or two, even if that means a lower dividend check. As co-chair of the Senate Finance Committee and in charge of the state's operating budget, He's got a lot of leverage to help other legislators see things his way. But he's also got two decades in the Senate under his belt, and he understands the price of looking the other way when the alarm bell rings. I guess it comes with the territory and experience. Some people can see a collision coming and some people can't. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Whether you're an abalone diver, a snorkeling enthusiast, or a fuzzy marine critter, there are plenty of ways to know abalone. A researcher in Sitka is hoping to hear from local abalone experts to better understand the population and harvest of abalone in southeast Alaska. Taylor White is a doctoral researcher at UC Santa Cruz researching abalone in Sitka Sound, and she says she's found some information gaps. So I'm looking at sort of historical information, and there's just not a lot in terms of very spatially specific data on commercial harvest and or personal use and subsistence harvest and also an indigenous knowledge in the area. And so there are many ways of sort of knowing an ecosystem, right? White says abalone predators like sea otters are a crucial part of her research. But she can't interview otters, so White is looking for community members with knowledge of abalone trends in the area, from traditional and commercial harvesters to divers and intertidal aficionados, to reach out and participate in an interview or survey. Which has like mapping exercises and basically some Likert scale. So on a scale of one to five, how much have otters impacted your abalone harvest site, in your opinion, or like how long have they been there? And because that information can be sensitive, she says she'll keep it confidential. I will be the point person and really the only person who has um, access to very specific information that you can also um, easily take back. So if you want to share a very specific beach with me, and information on the trends on that beach, um, I like honor not sharing any of that information and there will be no georeferenced data in any of these um, trends that we send out. You can find more information on the project and contact information for White on our website at kcaw.org. 
Objects that are culturally important to tribes in Alaska, like ceremonial masks and drums, are scattered throughout the collections of museums across the globe. A new round of federal grants will help two tribes and two museums in the state bring some items home. Coast Alaska's Angela Denning reports. Anthropologist and explorer Ted Banks collected items from the Aleutians in the 1940s. Some were human remains. Like human bones and skulls and jaw bones and things like that. Chris Price is the CEO of Unalaska's tribe. The Kaolungan tribe of Unalaska is receiving about $15,000. The money will help them bring back items from the Museum of the North at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Lots of different archaeologists and explorers over time have come to Unalaska and they, you know, removed uh, sacred objects, including human remains. The Kaolungan tribe plans to bring some of the items back to their island, and others will stay at the museum for research. The returned remains will likely receive a ceremonial burial, depending on what the tribal council decides. Carter Price writes grants for the tribe. He says culturally, it's very important to get ancestors' remains back to their homes. He says museums and others are more understanding of that now. There has been a shift with some of these uh organizations with wanting to return items. I think there's the recognition that housing some of these items isn't morally correct. So we're seeing more work with the tribes in trying to get the artifacts back. Alaska's grants are part of $3.4 million awarded to tribes and museums throughout the country through the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, or what's called NAGPRA. The NAGPRA law was passed by Congress in 1990. The Central Council of Tlingit and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska is receiving two federal repatriation grants, totaling about $144,000. Other grant recipients in Alaska include the University of Alaska Fairbanks and the Aleutic Museum and Archaeological Repository in Kodiak. Reporting for Coast Alaska, in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. And now taking a quick look at the weather for some of the week for Sitka, starting with today, Monday, August 21st, 2023. Today, sunny with a high near 65, northwest wind around 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 52, northwest wind around 10 miles per hour. And looking forward to tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high near 63, northwest wind around 10 miles per hour. Tomorrow night, partly cloudy with a low around 52, northwest wind around 10 miles per hour. You're tuned into your community radio station, Raven Radio KCAW in Sitka. Good morning. Thank you.